Greetings, St. Paul family and friends. Thank you for joining us this evening. Um, thank you for joining us for what we know will be an engaging and insightful conversation. Um, thank you also to Dr. Scott for making space for this discussion tonight. Thank you to Kaya. Thank you to Ms. Tara Weathers and to Minister Minor and Ms. Dalton for coordinating and facilitating this event as well. Let us go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for this day, God, and we thank you for this amazingly beautiful weather. God, we thank you for this community that brings us together and for every ministry that continues to do the work of kingdom building. God, we thank you for this month to celebrate women, but God, we ask that you would keep us mindful that we continue to celebrate them 365 days a year. God, thank you for the amazing women that have labored for St. Paul, past and present. And we ask God that you would wrap your loving arms around them and continue to nurture them and cultivate them to be the kingdom builders that you desire for them to be. It is in your name we pray. Amen. A few um, brief announcements before I introduce our moderator. Um, if you have not registered to vote, I just want to encourage you to please register to vote. If you need voter registration information, please feel free to reach out to me, Reverend D'Angelo Dia. My email address is ddia at stpbc.org. Um, also, if you're registered to vote, it's not enough just to be registered. Please take the time and actually go out and vote. We'll have a series of political forums that will take place during the month of April. The first one, if you could check your calendar, the first one is for Tuesday, April 19th. More information on that will come soon. Um, at this time, I would like to introduce our moderator for this conversation. Minister Erica Minor probably has served on every ministry team at St. Paul, just about. <laughs> I see you smiling, Erica. This is true, sister. Um, she's also in her last year at Hood Theological Seminary, um, earning her Master's of Divinity. Um, but most importantly, she is a child of God. Um, thank you, Erica Minor, uh, for moderating this conversation. And I would My also, pleasure. I would also like to invite to um, the stage at this time, Dr. Scott. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. And I'd like to pass it over to you, Dr. Scott, for any open remarks that you may have for the community at this time. Well, first of all, um, Reverend Dia and to uh, Erica, thank you all so much for uh, pulling this together. And uh, I just thought it was rather ingenious. And I have to give um, Ashley and uh, Jeffrey uh, major kudos for acquiescing uh, to this wonderful opportunity. When I saw that Kaya and what you all wanted to do with the social justice ministry as far as Women's Month is concerned, uh, I was like, well, why can't we just pull it together and um, make it one event. And so uh, we got some wonderful creative people at St. Paul that was able to make that work. So this is a wonderful opportunity for Kaya and our social justice ministry ministry to do this wonderful collaboration. Of course, we lift up our sisters uh, who if they weren't doing what they were doing as far as the spiritual, physical, emotional, mental, uh, and financial aspects of the church, there would be no church. And so uh, I am more than uh, grateful to our sister. And I'm so glad that um, we try to do all that we can to be egalitarians at the St. Paul Church. So looking forward to this wonderful conversation that our sisters will be having on this evening. And I'm excited to uh, see what they're going to share. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, at this time, we are going to go ahead and introduce our wonderful panelists for the evening. Thank you, Dr. Scott and Reverend Dia for warming things up for us. 
Uh, for those of you who have joined us, if you have questions, comments, feel free to engage with us and put those in the chat throughout our conversation this evening. Our first panelist that I would like to introduce to you is Dr. Sherelle Fuller. Many of you know her. Um, she is a graduate of both George Mason University and University of Virginia. She has her PhD in education and she has served in that field for over 25 years. She is also a proud member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority and she has been a blessing to St. Paul for over 16 years now in our music, youth and Christian education ministries. Welcome Dr. Fuller, thank you for being part of our panel discussion this evening. Also part of our panel will be Sister Lisa Murray. She is a proud graduate of Benedict College of Columbia, South Carolina. Lisa has enjoyed a 20-year career in the healthcare administration and financial management industry. Her passion is in the work of missions. She is active in the Woman Baptist Home and Foreign Convention of North Carolina, and she currently holds the office of third vice president for Mecklenburg County Missionary Union. She is also a disciple of St. Paul Baptist Church, and she is a newly elected member of our board of directors. Welcome, Sister Lisa. Thank you for joining our panel. Next, we have Sister Ashley Jones-Rosier. She is a graduate of South Carolina State University. We got some wonderful South Carolina women part of the panel tonight. Uh, she is a specialist in the field of speech therapy. She is a proud member of Delta Sigma Theta Incorporated, and she is a faithful disciple to St. Paul also. She is the co-lead for not only Kaya, but our young adult ministry. And she also is a member of our uh, St. Paul Board of Directors as well. Thank you, Ashley, for joining us. But last but not least is our very own First Lady, Pierce Scott. She is joining our panel. And as we all know, not only is she the loving helpmate to our pastor, she is also the co-lead of the Women of Worth Ministry and a proud member of Delta Sigma Theta as well. Thank you, ladies, for joining us. Without further delay, we want to go ahead and jump in to our wonderful questions and let the members um, of St. Paul and those friends who are joining us this evening, we want them to get to hear your insight, your voices, and your opinions on our topics tonight. Um, so if your mics are muted, feel free to go ahead and unmute and jump in. Um, and our first question will be, what woman in history has inspired or challenged your understanding of what it means to be a woman. And for those of you on the panel tonight, I will just make that specific, what it means to be a black woman even. Please share with us, give us an example. I know for me, um, I feel like I can't pinpoint like one specific woman. Um, I feel like I've been blessed and fortunate enough to have, you know, between my mother, my grandmothers, my aunties, just women um, that I have just come across, across, you know, from the time that I can remember till today that, you know, through mentorship and just everybody, all the women that I have encountered, they've all shown me different things. They all show me, you know, what it looks like to be a mom, what it looks like to be a mom who's working a full-time job, who um, is working in church and doing different extracurricular activities, what it means to be an entrepreneur. I mean, all these, what it's, what it looks like to be feminine, but what it's also time to be, you know, a little bit more sassy. So I just feel like I've gotten so much from so many different women. I can't really pinpoint it, but they, all women inspire me. I feel like 
everyone, even the women at church, like you guys probably don't even know it, but I take little pieces from you guys and say, Ooh, I like that. I want to be like that. And, um, and that's just, to me, that's, it is, that's what inspires me. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. And you talked about how different generations have inspired you. I love that. Um, who else has a thought or would like to share on this question? I'll co-sign with Ashley on that. Um, when you asked the question, you know, you said in history and, you know, immediately I started thinking, you know, historical figures. And then I began to think about a lesson that my mom gave me years ago. I used to, you know, have these people when I was a little girl, I would idolize. And then I would be so disappointed when, you know, and these are celebrities and things like that. And then my heart would be broken when I would hear something about them. And so my mom gave me a lesson early on to be careful of who you idolize. And so I learned early on to really focus in on the people who are around me. And as cliche as it might sound, I would most definitely say my mom is the person, um, just the strength. And, and this may sound kind of crazy, but um, I don't have any children. And part of the reason I think is that I don't know if I ever could have lived up to what my mom was to me. And I've often thought about, I was like, I don't know if I can sacrifice like she has done. So the example, the, the strength and um, the character and things like that. So um, I am thankful that I did not have to go outside of my house. Um, even though I have been, she always made sure I was surrounded by strong women from all generations. I could have stayed in my house all the time and have gotten the, um, the impact uh, that I needed there. And I know what a blessing that is. Hmm. Well said. Well said. Thank you for that. Uh, Lady here or Miss Lisa, go ahead. Yes. I'll jump in. Um, and, and I think that I can certainly be on the bandwagon in terms of singing the praises of moms and, and, and mine is still alive and well. And I am just so grateful every day. Uh, I thank God for that because I know so, so many, um, people that don't have their moms with them. Um, but I thought about this question in terms of inspirational women other inspirational women and the woman from um, history that, um, and there's so many, but one that I wanted to mention tonight is Fannie Lou Hamer. And one of the reasons why I just love her is because she um, was a politician and activist. She did so many things. She worked with SNCC. Um, she was uh, a founder of the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. Um, she was plain spoken, but powerful. And just such an awesome fighter for um, for voting rights and, um, you know, against um, the, the violence that people experienced when they were even just trying to register to vote. And so, um, you know, and of course, pastors from Mississippi. So it's always good to, to uh, bring in that Mississippi um, um, flavor. But one thing that I found out um, fairly recently, I was having a conversation with our former first lady, Miss Thomasina Drummond, and she told me that Fannie Lou Hamer was one of our Women's Day speakers at St. Paul. And I just thought that was fabulous. Wow. So I wanted to mention that as, as well um, in terms of one of the women who have just been an inspiration to me personally and to so many others. Wow, that's a good piece of St. Paul history, yes. Go ahead, Sister Lisa. So Lady Pierre took my hero, um, <laughs> Sister Fannie Lou Hamer. Um, I remember the first time I heard about Fannie Lou Hamer. Um, it was, I was watching a documentary 
And I had never heard about her. And I was an adult when I learned about Fannie Lou Hamer. Um, Miss, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. But what I, she was very plain spoken. Um, and she talked about issues that were very sensitive when she talked about the Mississippi appendectomy. And what that really was, that was eugenics at that time. So, um, yes, Freddie Lou Hamer is such an inspiration. But I have to also piggyback and take from Ashley as well. Women from the church had a lot of influence on me. I grew up as a PK. So that was my world. And those were the women who I always wanted to be like. And on Sunday mornings when I get ready for church, I have this thought in my mind that, what I have on, is it pleasing to them? Would they be satisfied with what I have on? And then when I work in church, would they be pleased with the work that I do in church and I carry them with me? And so um, that's a lot of influence. But definitely, um, I encourage any young woman, if you don't know anything about Miss Fannie Lou Hamer, learn about Miss Fannie Lou Hamer. Yes, look, I see Dr. Sherelle is going to explode because that is her lady. <laughs> We we love Fannie Lou Hamer. We do. Um, and yes, uh, as you can see, the whole panel agrees on that. Um, so it's interesting to see that both women from the past, the present, and multi-generationals, multi-generations have influenced all the women on the panel as far as what is making them a woman and what has uh poured into them over the years. So each of you ladies mentioned what has poured into you, but I want to lead into our next question about what you're doing to pour in to our next generation. So all of you may not be mothers, but your godmothers, your aunties, um, maybe you have students. Um, and in the times we live in now, it is complicated for how to raise children. You know, we struggle with finding a balance of, you know, how do we inform our children about sensitive topics and what an appropriate age is to start presenting things to them. We don't wanna overwhelm them, scare them or burden them. So for you ladies on the panel tonight, what do you think is a good way to initiate conversations with our children that inform them about the challenges of our past and teach them to recognize and defend against the injustices that they may face uh, as they navigate through this life? I would say just be honest. Be honest with them and give them true history. We, we can't depend on the schools to give them history. We have to have those conversations within our homes. Um, giving them accurate information, teaching them about heroes. Don't wait until an event happens, like um, the George Floyd event, um, the Trayvon Martin event. Don't wait until those events happen. Constantly have those conversations with your children in the home. Um, I think that prevents them from reacting in a way that's emotional versus uh, intellectual when things like that happen. Mm, well said, well said. I'm right. with like, you. Uh, oh, go ahead, Ashley. Um, my with my experience, I'm not a mother yet, but soon, soon, soon. <laughs> um, but uh, I just remember my, my my parents being very specific about putting me in different places that was going to be able to teach me different things. Of course, we had the conversations at home, but I can not even imagine like a year going by at church where church didn't educate us on black history and opening up the floor, um, whether it was extracurriculars as far as like Jack and Jill or different organizations where black people were, um, we had those conversations um, about black history. And from there, 
segued into you know what what happened then and what's happening now which you may face and i still don't think any of those conversations prepared me for the time that the first time that i um encountered racism towards me i remember being a little girl and going to like a community park and i was just playing with the little girl because i'm a sweet little girl I'm actually, I'm nice. I'm not throwing sand. I'm not doing anything crazy, but I'm just playing with the little girl. And I remember her mother coming up to her, snatching her and saying, don't play with her. Go over there. And I was, I was like confused. Like, why, why would she do that? I wasn't being mean to her or anything like that. And I remember not thinking anything of it, but then going to tell my mom what happened. And then at that moment, she had to explain a little bit more, like how things are, how things could possibly go. Mm -hmm. So yes, I don't think we should, we should wait. We should have those conversations as soon as possible. But it is like, when, when do you have you know, is it five years old? Is it, you know, six years old? At what age do we have those conversations? But like I said, it was church. It was Jack and Jill. It was all these different organizations that poured in Black history that opened up the floor for my parents to be able to talk about the injustices and what mm -hmm. is right and wrong. Mm -hmm. Because it takes a village. So it wasn't just mom and dad for you. It was no, it wasn't everyone. Yeah. Go ahead, Dr. Um, Dr. Sherelle, you had a comment also. Yeah, it's a similar thing. You know, I know we talk a lot about, you know, the talk that um, a lot of parent, Black parents have with their sons. But I also remember having a talk with my mom growing up. And actually, it was very similar. You know, I always knew, you know, I grew up in a rural um, Southern Virginia town. And, you know, I remember hearing being called colored. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a little older, but I don't feel like I'm old enough to be having called colored. But that's what uh, I heard. And so when situations would come up, I remember, you know, having the talk that, you know, some people are going to look at you differently because of the color of your skin or because you're a girl. Um, ignore them. It doesn't matter. You know, you do you, that kind of thing. And so that's something that I have internalized over the years. And the way that I have been able, I think, um, in a mentor role, um, I am a proud auntie. Uh, I'm the auntie and the mother of, I always say I have hundreds and hundreds of students. But I, you know, I've always gone to um, PWIs. I've never attended HBCU. And every once in a while, you know, we get into these debates over, you know, what's better, what, and I've always taught at uh, PWIs. And so for me, the way that I think my calling is to mentor is to be for those students at those PWIs, the predominantly white institutions, and I'm throwing out terms, yeah. uh, they're predominantly white schools as opposed to HBCUs, is to give those students what I didn't get being maybe like 4% in a 30,000. And so I feel like my role is to be a mentor there to say that, you know, the world is not fair. You don't have to change who you are, you can be you. And so really taking those lessons um, of being proud, you can be proud without being militant. You can stand up for what's right without being angry. And you can get angry if you need to. You know, sometimes I think there's this sense of, you know, black women have this image. And so that for me is my way of paying it forward 
uh, predominantly with college age students, that generation. I just love working with them and showing them, you know, sharing experiences and learning from them. And all of that comes, I think, from the talk that I had. And like Ashley said, no talk will ever prepare you for that first time someone says something out of the pocket to you, but at least you have something to fall back on and you know that there is a community of people you can turn to. And that's what I seek to be for others, to let them know that this is a safe place to fall. Hmm. Well said, yes, thank you. Lady Pierre, go ahead, I see you on mute. Yeah, thank you. I, um, I, I agree with everything that, that Dr. Fuller said. I think that it's so important for us to, first of all, give our children a firm foundation so that they understand their value and their worth before anything happens. So it, like she said, nothing is going to prepare them fully for it. But what will be helpful is if they already know that they have it going on, that they already know that they are valuable and that they are worthy and so if an incident does happen, we just have to face it head on and help to, help to equip our children to really handle it with grace, but with boldness and giving them agency. And like I said, a sense of their own self-worth. I think um, the other key is to really listen to the child and really hear what their tender hearts are experiencing, because we don't want to get too far ahead of them um, and give them too much. But we also want them to be prepared. So if we can listen to them and hear what it is that, that they're saying, how did they um, experience this? What, what did they feel like? And then try to help them work through that. Um, and then I think, it, you know, uh, there's a lot of conversation right now about the, you know, what should we teach and how should we teach it and whose truth is, is right. Um, and I think we have always try to instill that sense of pride and giving our children a sense of history and a place in history. Um, and there's some hard truths that we have to tackle, but we also have to make sure that we're highlighting just the, the joy, the irrepressible joy, the, the, the resistance, the uh, resilience, and how our ancestors were able to overcome just insurmountable obstacles with, they did so much with so little. Um, and then we can let them know that the God that sustained our ancestors through all of that is the same God that could keep them through whatever they might be facing. Yes, yes. So each of you touched on something really interesting that leads us into a question I wasn't going to go to next. But each of you mentioned briefly about a hurt that you remember. You mentioned, like, I remember the first time someone called me colored. I remember the first time someone said, you can't play with her because of the color of her skin or because of the side of town she lived on. We all have those those hurts. Um, and so the women of our past, you know, we talk about our ancestors had to overcome a lot of things, whether it was racism, sexism, colorism. Um, they had a lot of obstacles to break through. But each of you, each of us tonight have also had to overcome hurts whether they're past or present. So how are you overcoming those and allowing yourself to keep working and striving for a better future for not only yourself, but the generation that you're raising or the generation that's coming after you? I'll, I'll jump in. I, um, I can be pretty stubborn. <laughs> and if someone tells me I can't do something, that is kind of a, um, 
uh, energizer to say, no, okay, did you just say I couldn't do that? I'm going to, to, to show you. And a lot of that comes from what Lady Pierce said, you know, knowing that, do you know where I come from? You know, I come from a strong people. And so just doing it. Um, you talked about an obstacle and I have been talking about this a lot now. And this is, you know, I am, I'm almost 49 years old and I'm still dealing with this. Over the past few months, I was dealing with this big case of imposter syndrome. You know, do I really belong here? And I remember, you know, thinking about that when I was in grad school or, you know, uh, going, I didn't belong. And I was like, why am I still dealing with this now? You know, I've accomplished some things by the grace of God, but if there's something in there and I know how the devil works and I know how, you know, seeing other things, comparison is the thief of joy. And so for me, overcoming that is just remembering, you know, God did this for me before. God would not put you somewhere where he has, he's positioning you because he's prepared you. You know, he has given you the ability to do this and he's going to help you do it. So sometimes you just have to, I don't know if y'all do this, but have a good little talking to, to yourself. <laughs> you, know, mm -hmm. you know, everything comes back to music for me. So a favorite song is sometimes you have to encourage yourself. Yes. And so, um, that has been, you know, that obstacle. And I think it's important to tell young women that this is an ever running journey. This is not something that once I learn, I get it. Oh, I'm good now. You know, you get better at dealing with things, but some of these things can continue to creep into your life. And now it's knowing how to move past, knowing that the God you serve can get you through this and using your friends, make sure you have a good supportive group of family and friends that you can go to, to remind you you know, to call you on your stuff when you need it, there but you go. also remind you, you know, you got this, you deserve to be here, go walk in that. And so I think it's important to remember that and to remember that it's a, it's an evolution. Like we're, we go up, sometimes we're better than others, but we can always bounce back from it. Yeah. Well said, well said. Right. I, I definitely feel like this is this is a good this is a good question because I always think about you know with the sexism and racism you know going to work and you know I just remember like that first job after um, after grad school after school and you're now walking into this place and more than likely you're probably the only black person for me in in the speech therapy world all the therapists were white or men. Um, some of them were white women, but I just remember, you know, all of a sudden the weight of all black women was now on my shoulders. Like I walked into work with, I am representing all the black women in America. <laughs> I was just like, you know, but I'm ready for this. And, and I always joke, I'm from Orangeburg, South Carolina, from the blackity blackest town in South Carolina. And we have been pumped up since elementary school about all the different things that Black women have accomplished, Black people have accomplished. You know, they, all my teachers were Black. They all went to Claflin or South Carolina State um, with master's degrees in education. So it was like they pumped us up. They were our battery packs. And so all I had to do was just remember 
And like Lady Pierce said, you know, the God that was the God before is the same God today. So, you know, if he brought these women, you know, through slavery, if he brought them through civil rights and we all these other women, women were able to accomplish all these other these different things. I mean, why not me? Why can I not do that as well? And so just a mix between, you know, where I come from, my community and where, you know, what I see in church, what I see when I read the Bible and just through life. It's just been the been this battery act that's told me that you can do this. And I don't I don't know. It's very interesting because, you know, you got some women that work and they try to get all nervous and be like, oh, you know, they got, they're going to cut some jobs and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And I'm just over there. Like if, if the first glance, I'm like, who they're cutting jobs. Um, but then the next thing, you know, I'm like, the God got me. Y'all can stress out about that all you want, but I know he got me this job. He got me to this position and he's not going to leave me now. Why would, why would I think that? And so to me, that has been my way of getting through obstacles, whether, you know, sexism, racism, you know, all the different things that may happen. Mm. Okay. Okay. It makes the hurts a little easier to deal with knowing who you serve. Right. Go ahead, Sister Lisa. I see you unmuted. I I, I have to agree with what Sister Ashley said. Um, being from South Carolina as well, I'm from a different part of the state of South Carolina than Sister Ashley is. I'm from the upstate. She's from the low country. But there is a different sense of pride in that part of the state. I have to give it to, to them. So she was 100% accurate in that description. I think um, one of the ways to overcome the isms as a woman is to be positive. And it's funny because positivity can be infectious. Because if you're positive about yourself, you start pouring into people um, in positive ways. You, you have conversations with coworkers, with people in your circle, or just strangers. I've had it with strangers. You know, where, you know, you bump into somebody in the grocery store, a conversation starts up and they, they say something about something they want to do. And I find myself encouraging them to do that. So if you can be positive about yourself, you certainly can let that ooze out onto other people. And I think if you remain positive, um, that fights the negativity a lot. And then you know, it's, it's about being confident within yourself. When you love yourself, then you really don't have time for um, being negative. And you want other people to feel about themselves the same way you feel about yourself. So I think the best way to fight the, the isms that we face as women um, is, is to just be positive. You know, and make it make it to the point that you want people around you to be positive. You know, give compliments. That's a, it's okay to give a compliment to someone. You know, my sister does this thing with with little girls if we're out somewhere and we bump into a friend with a daughter. My sister will not say, "Oh, you're cute." My sister will say, "I bet you're smart." And I asked my sister once, "Why do you do that?" She says, "Girls are always taught to be pretty, but they're never taught to be smart." Mm. So, just, just be positive and encourage people as you go. I like what you said. And as an additional part to that, it was the intentionality in what you speak into yourself and what you speak into others when you're encouraging. It's one thing to be positive, but what verbiage are you using? And are you intentional about what you say? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Lady Pierre, did you want to chime in on this one also? Or did you want to hold on for the next one? <laughs> 
Well, you know, I can always chime in <laughs> or, or I can hold do. my tongue. I also, do. I also want to be mindful of, you know, my, my share of the pie and I don't want it to be too large. But one of the things that you, you did mention was whether or not we are, um, how do we deal with the slights of the past? And I think a lot of times, you know, we grow older and we grow up, but we maybe haven't dealt with some of the things or issues, you know, maybe, um, you know, in, in my family, there was a serious issue with colorism. You, your hair was too nappy and, and you were too dark. Even the lightest ones was always too dark. And it was just like, what, what is that? Um, and, it, and it's unfortunate that we are still work, you know, working through that. And even in this contemporary context, I would hope that we would have gotten over that. Um, but I think one of the things that, that helped me through that was, was really to tell your younger self, that she was perfect just the way that she was, um, that God made her in his image. And we can reassure ourselves and tell our, our girls, and I'm definitely going to use what Lisa's sister does. Um, but we have to tell, tell our, our young girls that, you know, that they're made in God's image. They're fearfully and wonderfully made and that, um, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to deal with those ghosts of the past that told us that we weren't whatever enough because, um, Dr. Fuller mentioned this in terms of um, of um, uh, having that imposter syndrome. And I always try to remind myself, um, I'm sure that white men have an imposter syndrome too, but they, they just don't tell anybody about it. When, when they work, walk in, if they don't know, they either go to someone who does or they figure it out. And that's what we have to do. Um, nobody goes into a job knowing everything it is about it or how, how to do it. Um, so we have to know our worth and just know that anytime we enter a room, we deserve to be there. You deserve, mm -hmm. deserve to be there. You not only be there, but you deserve to be heard and you deserve to, um, to, to bring all of yourself to that situation. So don't shrink, don't shrink, don't stifle yourself. Don't settle, know your worth. Yes, I am so glad that you chose to unmute and, uh, and share and use your time. Um, you said a line in there that was really important. You said we have to remember to say goodbye to those, those ghosts of the past that told us we weren't enough. But sometimes as women, what we struggle with is people telling us that we're too much of something, that we are too assertive that we are too vocal, that we are too whatever fill in the blank it is that someone told you you were too much of. And sometimes that's the ghost that haunts you and turns you into the imposter. And that is why we have to be intentional with how we uplift ourselves and how we encourage one another as well. Um, Lady Pear brought up men and we hadn't said nothing about the men yet. So let's go on and talk about the men. <laughs> Um, as women, we're usually really concerned about, um, you know, Ashley brought him up a little bit too. She said, you know, it was just men. It was just her at the job, few, few Caucasian women, but it was mostly just the men. Um, so as women, we're usually concerned about, you know, male privilege and male rights and the biases that, that men have that negatively impact us. However, as women, we all know, let's be honest, there are some biases that women have that are negatively impacting other women. So what are some biases that women need to acknowledge and break? I 
I couldn't click on my mute fast enough. <laughs> I saw you. I saw you. You were like, like, trying to get to it. I saw you. Come on that, with it. <laughs> that there is not room for all of us. I, I and I hate that perpetuated. And sometimes it is perpetuated by women. There is enough. Um, Lady Pierre, you use the uh, the analogy of the pie. There is enough of the pie for all of us. We, you know, there's this sense that women can't work together, or you can't, you know, if if women have a disagreement, oh, they're getting ready to, you know, there is room for all of us, and we can lift each other up. Like me saying that you, and I'm not trying to make everything physical, but sometimes we don't even want to give another woman a compliment. So, you know, me telling you you're beautiful doesn't degrade me. Me telling you you can do it, me supporting your business, me, I think it's it's so frustrating because it's something that I saw younger and I'm still seeing. And it was like, oh, why are we still dealing with this? We can work together. I do it all the time. We can, and we can have a disagreement and not have people wait for a cat fight <laughs> to break out. So I wish that's one thing that I wish we could just, you know, if I had a magic wand, I would wave it and just say, there is enough room for all of us. We don't have to pull each other down and we don't have to. And sometimes I think it's internalized. I don't know if it's always conscious because we've just been programmed society for that. So there's room for all of us. Mm -hmm. Okay. I know all of you have something to say on this one. Come on. <laughs> she took the words right out of my mouth. Like there, I know some of the younger generation, we like to say, we all go eat. We all going to eat. And so I think so often, and I think society and culture and, you know, the workplace, they, they know they'll try to pit us, you know, against each other. And, and yes, we can all eat. Yes. There's room at the table for all of us. But when, sometimes when you're in a, in a certain workplace, let's not get it twisted. You know, there are still some white men and men that are saying, when they're going through the, you know, looking at resumes and going through the interview process, I mean, affirmative action, it may feel like it's not enough room for us at this one specific table, which could be very true, but there's other tables, there's bigger tables, there's smaller tables, there's a table in another room, there's a table, you know, somewhere else that you can sit at, you can sit at. And then, you know, one, if I get at this table, which I feel like a lot of people do, I get to the table and then I don't want to pull nobody up. I don't want to pull anybody up with me. And that's just, you know, the thing that we should absolutely not do. And the position that I'm in as a speech therapist running my own company, I'm constantly looking for other speech therapists that I can put on. I can get a help them get a contract with another school. And, you know, and everyone's wanting to, you know, contract themselves out and not work under anybody, which I totally understand. Um, and I always say, it's, we can all eat. It is enough out here. So and what's for me is for me, right? You know, what's for you is for you. But so often, you know, we just feel like it's not enough room at the table. And I know people try to make it seem like that's true, but it's not true. It might not be the same table that I'm at, but it's definitely other tables that you can sit at the head of. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead, Sister Lisa. I see you. I see you're eager. Okay. I'm going to step in some choppy waters right here. Chop them. <laughs> but don't we see that in the church amongst women? My assignment, my assignment is my assignment. Your assignment is your assignment. 
Your assignment doesn't make me any less and my assignment doesn't make you any greater. We all have an assignment um, and we do it a lot in the church, but we don't talk about it. We talk about how men hold us back in church. but We don't talk about how sisters hold each other back in the church. I love it. I love it. You made a comment um, when we had our uh, our informal meeting a few weeks ago and you mm -hmm. made a comment about titles. You want to touch on that one? <laughs> because that pertains to women too. It's not just men's titles that uh, are right. biased. These titles I, that women hold on to. Go mm -hmm. ahead. Right, women do hold on to titles a lot. Not you know, and and I have to take a step back to what I said earlier. We talk about what men do, but it's it's disheartening to hear a woman talk about when men kept me back from doing this, men kept me back from doing that. But then you watch them do it to another woman or do it to groups of women. And you're sitting there and you think to yourself, like, you really, now your, your argument is not valid because I just watched you do it to women. Um, and, it, you know, back to the, the whole thing about men, it's like going to Mississippi, <laughs> you know, or parts of South Carolina, you know, you're going to face racism. You're going in, you're going in an area that's dangerous. You know that you're going in an area that you may not be wanted, but you got to think about what the end game is. So don't dwell on what's going on right now. Think about the end game. So when the argument comes up about how men hold you back and you, you want to tell me about this, but then you want to, I watch you hold women back that I don't, I don't know how to process that. I just don't know how to process that. The, the when, and when it comes down to the church, it is hurtful because there's a lot of work to be done in the church. So let me do mine while you do yours. Mine shouldn't threaten your work and you shouldn't look at my work as being um, below your work. I can't sing. So if I go stand beside Dr. Fuller on the choir stand, it's going to be a problem. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know my role, right? So I don't sit in the pews on Sunday and I don't criticize the choir or, or criticize the women in the choir for that matter because they're walking in their assignment. That's not my assignment. If I can help them, if I if clapping my hands helps them, then I'm going to help them. Mm -hmm. But it's not, that's not how we do as, you know, and I hate to make a blanket statement, but I don't see us doing that as we should in the church. We just don't. Women don't support each other as they should in the church. Well said. And I'm looking at the comments in the chat and no one is disagreeing with you. They they are very much saying that they agree. Um, and someone made the comment earlier in the chat. They said no one else's candle is dimmed by lighting someone else's. Yes. Um, yeah. So Minister Erica. Go ahead. Can I, can I jump in? I, I don't want to jump in. I'm sorry, Lady Pierre, but Lisa. <laughs> Lisa said something, and you know, last time I said, I want y'all to invite me back to Kaya because I, uh, last time I said some things, and I was like, I hope they'll invite me back. But since Lisa opened the door, I, I have my little scribbly notes, and I have in the church, Lisa, and I was so excited. And this is one that might get me in trouble, but I think it goes along with what you said. I think what I was taught, and what is still taught in many ways, is of kind of the good girl kind of, you know, image of, you know, good girl, bad girl, kind of, you know, this is what, I am single at 49. I was taught that, you know, a good girl does this, 
and a good girl does that and you're rewarded for your obedience. Somewhere in that subtly, there is a I'm good. And if somebody is good, then there's naturally has to be somebody who is bad. And so somewhere subtly, we have taught, we have, and I say we, because now I am kind of in, in the older part of this, we have taught kind of to pit women against each other. Oh, you know, she does that, or she has done, you know, it's this, this back and forth. And I saw it growing up and I still see it today. And like you said, Lisa, it hurts more in the church. Like I expect, and I don't expect people in the church to be perfect because I know we're all humans, but there's something about, and I think about myself, how I had to call myself. I was comparing myself to something. I was like, wait a minute, this is not God. This is what people are saying. And so just the whole concept of you're good, then who is bad? Then what makes you bad? Like, is this worse than this? Or if you if you get caught, is this? You know, that was always the thing, you know, the person who winds up pregnant, and not married is bad, but this, those things have been really big in the church from, and I've been in the church my whole life and I've seen it my whole life. And it's one of those things that pains me. And I feel like it still contributes. We have the societal thing where women get pitted against each other. But like you said, Lisa, it is, I think it's still very prevalent in the church. And I, um, you know, I'm trying to do my part in reading some things and trying to deconstruct some of the things that I was taught so that I can get that out. Well, why are they doing that? You know, that internal, even if it's subconscious. Yes. So thank you for bringing that up because that was something that was on my spirit. And I was like, we really have to do better mm -hmm. with that because sometimes that's a subtle thing that pits us against each other. And sometimes we don't even realize it. It took me into my adulthood to realize, wait a minute. I've been a part of this and didn't even realize. And it's a part of the reason that I was dealing with some depression with See? that. I was like, wait a minute, that's an unrealistic expectation. That's not God. Absolutely. That's a human. So that's hopefully y'all will still invite me back again. <laughs> uh, go ahead, Lady Pierre. Did you want to respond to what the ladies have said so far on this question? Yeah, I think um, a couple of things that is, is very important for us to instill in um, our younger people, our, our young ladies, um, a sense of, of uplift. And that especially should be prevalent in the church. I know that while we try to hold, you know, we got our Bible held so closely that we, we want to stick to tradition and stick to what's appropriate and what's in decency and what's in order. And sometimes that turns us into Pharisees. And, and we just really need to be mindful of that because it's, it's, you know, God was, Jesus was lifted up to draw all people into, onto him. And, that that means the people with the short dresses and that means the people with the whatever um what our our job is to is to emulate and show them Christ so that when they walk in they they feel so accepted and so loved and so and and and, and can understand that oh that's what Christ is about that's what this this sisterhood that's what being a christian is about and in in that way um, if we're doing enough of that, if we are 
examining our own lives and making sure that we are showing showing up and showing others what Christ is like, then hopefully we'll have a little less time to be concerned about, you know, what someone is wearing or or how you know their hair is looking or or, or whatever. So uh, we you know we can stop being so super critical of one another. Now, very well said. Um, and it's interesting. I didn't think that this question would take you all back to church so quickly, but it did. And, and it's interesting how uh, your upbringing and what the church poured into you over the years, how it, as much as it can uplift and encourage you can also kind of scar you in some ways through life and you become part of the hurt done to other people uh, because you buy in. You buy in on the, if I don't wear white pantyhose on first Sunday, then I'm bad. <laughs> I'm the bad girl <laughs> or I'm sinful. And so, yeah, it's little things like that if we buy into. So when we give lift to other people, let's make sure that we're giving lift about the right things and not those myths or biases that other people taught us as we were growing up in the church. Um, so, you know, y'all brought up church naturally because y'all are Christian women. So you said some wonderful things about the church and you also slapped the hands of some women that said the church is holding them back. In general, do you feel that the church has hindered or elevated the progression of black women? And I know that's a general question, but for your lived experiences and what you know, do you feel the church has hindered or elevated progression of black women? I'll be brief. It's gotten better. It's gotten better. Okay. Okay. I, <laughs> oh, me. St. Paul is the first church that I've ever been at that recognized women as preachers, um, allow women in the pulpit. I joined St. Paul in 2006. So I'll just let that. And the places that I'm thinking of still have issues with women. Um, I never said a prayer in church out loud until I left my home church. So I still think there are pockets. I am thankful to be at St. Paul where there, um, as Lisa was saying, I can see things and I can go visit other places getting better. But I think unfortunately, we still have some places that are stuck in those um, roles of women that are very patriarchal and not, um, it gives me hope because I see, if I hadn't been at St. Paul, I would still be very negative. <laughs> I was like, you know, cause I wouldn't have seen that there is another way. Um, and so um, being introduced to um, men who also, and I'm not saying that, you know, women have to be validated by men, but to understand that men understand the role of women is not just a subjugated role is important. So I think it's getting better, but there are still a lot of pockets that are working in ignorance, really just the not knowing. And some of that is Lady Peer, you mentioned that stuck in tradition of the way, not really, you know, misinterpretation of the Bible still, you know, holding King James here and not doing any deep dives or anything. So we're getting better in some pockets, but there's still work to do in others. Mm. Yeah, well said. All right. Anyone else want to chime in on this one? Or you want to hold out for the next question? Uh oh, come on, Ashley. So my experience, I'm I'm a bit younger, um, but my experience with the church um, in South Carolina and St. Paul has been has been good. I've always seen women in the pulpit. 
Um, my pastor would make sure that kids was in the pulpit. We, if it was, you know, kids Sunday, you know, we were in the pulpit saying the prayer or, you know, doing different things. So my experience has been different. And I recognize that it's not everyone's experience because I've definitely heard stories, but like Dr. Fuller said, I am, you know, I'm grateful that I'm at St. Paul where I have definitely seen women in the in the pool board, pool, excuse me, pulpit. And then back at home, you know, our associate pastor was a woman, well, is a woman too. So it's definitely been one of those things that I've definitely, I've seen over the years. And I'm, I'm very, very grateful that I have been able to have those experiences. So I want to chime in on something that you all have said so far about this question, and maybe you don't realize it. So we quickly went to women in the pulpit. Nothing wrong with that. It's fine. But we have a board of directors at our church, and we have two Black women on our board of directors, at least two, two on this panel right now that are on a board of directors. How many churches could say on their board of trustees, directors, whatever they have that is part of the uh, church governing board, would a woman be able to sit and not only one woman, but a woman that is considered a young adult? Um, that is groundbreaking for some churches. That would be mind blowing for some people to know. So it's not just what's in the pulpit. It is where else does a black woman get a voice in a church? Um, I've only been at, well, not only, but I've been in St. Paul since 2014, I think. And I can't remember a time when Ashley didn't have a voice. Dr. Sherelle didn't have a voice. When Sister Lisa, when Sister Pierre, once she came aboard, when you all were not allowed to give voice or participate. And so sometimes it's in those, uh, as Ashley said, the different tables. Maybe your table isn't the pulpit but you all have a voice in your church where back in Virginia and South Carolina, maybe you mm -hmm. wouldn't have been allowed to. Oh, go ahead, Ashley. I also say, you know, if you're, if you're not getting that at church, I was very intentional about when I moved to Charlotte about the church that I wanted to belong to. Like, because the church that I came from had seen a great man of God as a pastor his first lady there, um, she leading the women's ministry and me going to those things and how she was able to lift me up. Also witnessing, you know, the associate pastor and, you know, young adults. So when I came to, to um, Charlotte, I was super intentional about finding something similar. And I mm -hmm. often think that you know, women or just people in general get, they go bounce around from different churches because they don't feel, you know, like they like it. And then they probably just give up. Mm -hmm. But no, there's a church. There's a church out there for everyone. Um, and I just, you know, I'm, if you don't, if you're not a member of St. Paul and you're watching this, come on and join us. Um, <laughs> that's my plug. <laughs> come on. Um, but at the same time, I just, I challenge you guys, I challenge people out there to, to look for the things that you feel like are important for you to, you know, grow your faith and to feel comfortable where you have the voice. You know, some places you may go and you don't feel comfortable with the voice, but I know from my experiences, I was comfortable because I saw the women, you know, talking and I saw the women ministering. I saw the women working and I was like, okay, this is a place where I can go. And this is a place where I can tap this woman on the shoulder. How do I get involved? What do I do? Mm -hmm. And that, and for me, it was, 
it was that. So be intentional. Well said. Lady Pierre, final word on this one. Yeah, I just wanted to say that not only do we have women on our board of directors, um, we've also have women as in leadership in terms of our chair. Uh, we also have women deacons and our chair of deacons is a woman. Um, even our, our predecessor had women um, in the pulpit as well. And, and you know, so like you said, uh, Minister Erica is not just in the pulpit, but it's also in, in positions of leadership throughout the church, um, whether it's on our ministerial team, um, on our staff. And as pastor often says, you know, he wouldn't want to be in a church that didn't have um, women in it. And not only, but women, you know, in the pews, but also in leadership positions because women just get things done. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Ladies, we are close to being at time. Um, you all have given everyone uh, amazing insight tonight. You've been quite open and forthcoming and uh, you even uh, stirred up a little controversy at times. I love it. Um, <laughs> I want to give each of you a chance to have some closing remarks or maybe a thought of something that we didn't get a chance to address. And so just do a roundtable and um, if you have a closing comment that you'd like to give at this time, we will start with Ms. Ashley. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, now I wanted to say thanks, Sylvia, telling me I'm doing a good job. Thank you. Um, but it was a question that we didn't get to. So I did want to just touch on that just because it was it was a little important to me. And, and I'll wrap it up nice and pretty. Um we talk, We didn't necessarily talk about, you know, where we're excelling because we already know that we excel in everywhere we run in this world, um, basically. And like Lady said, you know, we know who gets it done. That part, we know that we're the ones getting stuff done. So shout out to all the women out there getting things done. But I also wanted to talk about, you know, where we're excelling. Just some points, you know, Black women, um, out of all the Black people that are getting master's, getting those postgraduate degrees, 70% of those Black people are women. So we're excelling in the education. So again, that's one of those things where it's like, you know, that's that's another battery pack for me. You know, I'm getting that. Education. You know, the number one entrepreneurs is women, are women. So that's another battery pack for me that I can keep it moving. Where I do want us to, to get better at is healthcare. We got to take better care of ourselves. We've got to, you know, get exercising. We got to get healthy. We got to work on our mental health. We've got to work on all these different things so we can be, you know, so we can continue to mentor other women, you know, and continue to bring other women up. And then also, you know, minister to the other generations, you know, bridging that gap. We didn't get to talk about that, bridging that gap. Um, with older generations because they have their wealth of information into, you know, some of the younger generations who are able to get information in a different kind of way <laughs> that some of the older people are not. But I do want to just talk about, you know, the healthcare. I do want us to take better care of ourselves. We are dying of stuff that we have no business dying from, diabetes, mm -hmm. hypertension, um, heart disease things that we have no business dying from and we've got to do better. So I challenge you all, challenge you black women to get to get your health together, get in a check. All right. Okay. Um, Dr. Sherelle, closing remarks from you. Yes. Um, I, um, I wrote myself a little note because we had talked about 
maybe talking about some of the things that we were reading, you know, to keep us enriched. And so I thought I would have as my closing remarks, I um, I am the kind of person who will be reading five books, open five books at the same time and never finish them. I have like five going. But these uh, there are four books that um, one is new and all the other four I have returned to. So I'm just going to give you the title of them um, and just um, these are the things that I am using for my own uplift and to help me uplift others. Uh, this first one is one that I found out about when I was in grad school. I think it came out around 2003. It's called Shifting, The Double Lives of Black Women in America. And it's a whole book about um, not compromising. It focuses on professional, spiritual, personal, all those things. And so, um, you know, going through things and, you know, some life changes, I decided to go circle back to that one. Um, the Wake Up, uh, this one is more in, I do a lot of work with social justice and diversity equity. And so this is one, The Wake Up, Closing the Gap Between Good Intentions and Real Change. So moving beyond just wanting to do the right thing to actually doing it. Um, this next one, some of you I know are familiar with because you are on social media, but this is um, one of my sorors has a book and she is a millennial. And I'm kind of the older Gen X going and reading. It's called Red Lip Theology. And I want to read the tag for it because I think this will tell you why it's just so interesting. Red Lip Theology for church girls who consider tithing to the beauty supply store when Sunday morning isn't enough by Candace Benbow. Uh, so that's the new one I'm reading. And the last one, go ahead and laugh. You all know my journey as a single woman. Um, so I'm revisiting a book uh, someone gave me years ago. If singleness is a gift, what's the return policy? Mm. <laughs> and for those of you that were like, Dr. Sherelle, slow down. Uh, Ms. Deborah Dalton has put the titles of each of those books in the chat for you so you can screenshot those or copy paste them real quick uh, before we close out tonight. Thank you for providing your reading list. Yes. <laughs> Sister Lisa. I will share with you what I shared with my General Baptist State family earlier this month. Um, and it's a quote that says, if God made anything better than a woman. He surely kept it for himself. So sisters, at any moment that you're feeling down, just go look in the, remember, in the mirror and quote that to yourself and you'll feel better. Brothers who are listening, just know that um, if God made anything better than a woman, it's not walking around down here on earth. Take care. Lisa, we need an organ background. We need some, <laughs> we need yeah, some shout music. That part. Shout a tambourine, at least. At least a tambourine on that one. <laughs> All right. And final closing remarks to Lady Pear, and then we will bring Pastor Scott back um, to kind of wrap us up. Go ahead, Lady Pear. Yeah, I wanted to share just a few things that I've been reading as well. Of course, we've been working with the 1619 Project. The pastor um, preached a, a number of series. Uh, if you haven't read it, just get it. Um, but there are a couple other things in terms of what everybody's not necessarily a reader. So um, I've been listening to a podcast called Teaching Hard History. It's, it's specifically for educators, but it's very um, accessible and informative, even if you're not an educator. So it's Teaching Hard History. It's um, a podcast that's from the Learning for Justice, which is the arm of the Southern Poverty Law Center. Um, and then there's just one other podcast that I've, that I've listened to. It's a little old. It's from 2017. Oh, but it is so informational. Um, it's called Seeing White. 
C-S-E-E-I-N-G, White. It's a 14-part docuseries. It's, it's long, but you will, it will bless you. It's, um, it, it's, it was produced out of Duke, um, but it, it is phenomenal. I saw Dr. Fuller shaking her head. So those are two things, um, two podcasts that I'm listening to that, like I said, everybody's not a reader or you just don't have time, but you can listen to it while you're, you know, doing your exercise or, or while you're, you know, cooking dinner or whatever. Those two I would definitely recommend. All right. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, ladies, for an awesome discussion tonight. You have poured into all of us and to each other as well. Um, at this time, we're going to give Dr. Scott a chance to give us closing remarks, and then um, I will close us out in prayer unless he would like to do so. Well, I'm trying to come up. Can you all hear me? We can hear you and see you, sir. Oh, you can see me, but I can't see myself, but that's all right. First of all, let me just say this has just been an Incredible, incredible evening of sharing. And um, uh, I was just, I'm just blown away by the uh, transparency and the authenticity that you all brought. Again, just want to thank Sister Ashley, who uh, co-labors in Kaya with uh, Minister Jeffrey Stevenson, as well as um, um, Reverend D'Angelo Dia for allowing for this synthesis to take place. You all were just absolutely incredible. And uh, I think that it's very important for us to understand that um, we all have something to contribute as far as what God has deposited within us. And God knows I am so glad that uh, here at St. Paul, that we take uh, having our sisters to participate in the work of ministry and mission so seriously. Um, uh, I was glad that there were some fights I did not have to fight coming to St. Paul. And of course, one of them was women in ministry and women deacons. I was able to do that when I was at uh, my last church to ordain the first female minister, as well as to uh, ordain the first female deacon. So uh, just coming here, uh, it was just easy breezy. But thank you all, sisters, so much for what you have shared tonight. And uh, we have pretty good participation. Wish we could have had more. Wonderful thing is that we always have playback, and we're going to encourage people to uh, go back and and watch this and uh, engage as far as um, this work that you all are doing. And I want to just continue to encourage you all to uh, be led by the Lord. Be led by the Lord. Uh, a lot of things I could not have done here at St. Paul as far as pastoral leadership had it not been for uh, many of the scriptures that serve alongside with me. Dr. Monica Redman, uh, Sister Karen Archibald, our church administrator, uh, Deborah Dalton, my executive assistant, uh, Sharon McManus in the office, as well as uh, Deacon Marilyn White. Uh, they bring such a breath as far as staff is concerned. And, and I'm so humbled and honored to be engaging in this work with them. So again, thank you all for blessing us. Uh, I'm so appreciative of all that you all have here. And um, uh, Minister Erica, you can close us out with prayer. And I want to give you major kudos for how you have navigated and moderated uh, this evening's conversation. So 
Thank you, sir. My pleasure. <laughs> it has been an honor to serve this evening. As Dr. Scott said, thank you to Reverend D'Angelo Dia for allowing this opportunity and orchestrating this. Uh, let us take a moment to go to God in prayer. Lord, we thank you this evening for this gathering. We thank you for an opportunity to have conversation that uplifts and informs. Lord, thank you for the women of this panel and the women of the St. Paul family. Lord, thank you for those who want to do the work for you. Lord, touch hearts and touch minds for those who are timid, those who are shy, those who are afraid of stepping out there and being bold and courageous for you, Lord. Help them and empower them and let those of us who have already made that leap, let us encourage them and bring them up to the tables with us so that they can be heard and so that they can do the work too. Lord, we ask that you put a special blessing upon Mrs. Dorothy Count Scoggins. She was our other panelist who was not able to join us tonight due to health um, health issues. Lord, we ask that you bless her body and give her healing this evening. Lord, bless our ministry leaders um, over social justice and over the Kaya ministries as they continue to partner together and lead us in ministry efforts. Lord, we thank you for our pastor and his family and the leadership that he gives us. Thank you for all that you are doing through the St. Paul family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be blessed this evening and thank you for joining us, St. Paul. Amen.